Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. Just some housekeeping stuff as we usually do at the beginning of each episode. Got a massive response on our last episode last week and that was on Jeffrey Mailhot, the wound socket serial killer. And I had totally missed this when it happened. It happened in 2003, 2004. And I actually know people. I live nearby and I'm in Woonsocket most days. I'm still in Massachusetts, but down that corner anyway. So there are people in my circle who had worked with Jeffrey Mailhot and they can't believe it today. I actually saw him just yesterday when I was getting a haircut. And my God, they're still flummoxed over it. They can't believe it was Jeffrey. And it was. He admitted to it. But to this day, if he had fought that case, there'd be people in Woonsocket saying there's no way he could have done it. He fessed up pretty quickly. And again, the police did an excellent job on that case, right? So all the people who want to disband the police departments, defund the police departments, how would Jeffrey Mailhot have been interviewed like that, interrogated like that? Because later in that A&E episode I posted to the show notes, guys, I think he admits that he wasn't going to stop until the police stopped him. He just wasn't going to do it. Always with this case, I, I wonder, are there more victims? Because... There were more prostitutes who had disappeared in that time frame from Woonsocket, right? But again, people in that lifestyle are so transient, they could never really figure it out. But when they had those three prostitutes, and I'm sorry to label them like that, I'm not entirely comfortable. They were more than that, right? They were engaged in that activity, I get it. But man, they were really just lost souls, right? I just wonder if... Joycelyn, I think, was her name. If Joycelyn, was it Martel, if she didn't come forward, I don't know if Jeffrey would have stopped, and I don't know if they would have got to him. I think eventually they would have done a search on their computers, trying to search for who had trouble with a prostitute at the house, and I think Jeffrey would have come up at a certain point. But, man, this guy is so milquetoast, they might have passed right over him. No parking tickets, no speeding tickets, no arrests, nothing. Just basically straight arrow, except he killed prostitutes, right? Absolutely insane case. Jeffrey Mailhot is serving a few life sentences with about a decade stacked upon it. And I think he is actually eligible for parole, though, in 2049 or 2047. And he'll never be released from prison. But again, it is the Northeast, right? All right, guys, I also have two updates for you on two cases that we've covered in Boston Confidential. The first one is Harmony Montgomery in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. 
there has been some significant developments in this case. Apparently, stepmother or stepmonster Kayla Montgomery had said in an interview with the police in June, I believe, of this year, that Adam Montgomery had killed Harmony Montgomery, age five, Adam Montgomery's daughter, with repeated blows with a closed fist. He basically beat her brains in, and Kayla Montgomery did nothing about it. But now she's telling her story, and Adam Montgomery has been charged with second-degree homicide, some evidence charges, and maybe more. So finally a murder charge for this demon, this bastard. It had occurred to me when I was reading this update that Adam Montgomery is the reverse Midas. Instead of everything turning to gold when Midas touched it, everything that Adam Montgomery touches deteriorates and dies. Look at his whole life. Look what he did to that beautiful little girl. So I'm a little concerned about the criminal case going forward, though. You have the step monster, Kayla Montgomery, testifying against the monster-in-chief, Adam Montgomery, right? Adam Montgomery is a career criminal. Kayla is a massive drug abuser. So her credibility isn't much better than his, and there seems to be no other witnesses. But hopefully we get a sympathetic jury on this one, right? I don't believe there's a trial date on this set yet, guys, but it usually takes about a year. You should get a trial date pretty soon. It'll probably be about a year from now or so, but Adam's still in jail for his other malfeasance. He was involved in some BS gun charges. Adam is actually a suspect in a murder in Lowell as well, so hopefully there'll be no parole for this guy, and hopefully if it's a second-degree homicide case, and I believe it's like Massachusetts, where you can get parole. Hopefully they can stack that evidence tampering charge, which is disposal of the body. Hopefully they can stack that on a concurrent sentence, and he'll, he'll do mostly life, I think. So Kayla Montgomery, Harmony's stepmom and Adam's wife, stated that Adam had punched Harmony in the head multiple times, obviously knocking her out and ultimately killing her. And that occurred on December 7th, 2019, around the time when Kayla, five-year-old Kayla, was last seen. So I would think that she knows where the body is to Kayla Montgomery. And if you remember in the news, they were kind of ratcheting up the pressure on Kayla Montgomery, and it seems to have been a great strategy by the police. They got some type of confession out of her. Hopefully, the police are playing this close to the vest, and they'll have a site to look for the body soon, but I'm not entirely sure on that. The second update I have for you guys, and they're actually both good updates. The second one concerns the case of Jazzy Korea out of Boston, Massachusetts. Lewis Coleman had picked up Jazzy Career outside of a Boston nightclub where she was drunk and trying to get into an Uber to get home. Jazzy had gotten separated from her friends after trying to keep the peace during a fight with her friends that night. And so it's seemingly she tried to get into a Uber to get her home and she encountered this Lewis Coleman who tried to take her back to Providence. And I think she resisted his sexual advances and he strangled her in the car there. Either way, she ends up dead and 
this video of Coleman bringing Jazzy dead into his apartment. And the feds ended up charging him with kidnapping, which resulted in death, which is an automatic life sentence. And he was just given that life sentence. I believe he was convicted in June of last year, but the sentencing was delayed and it just happened earlier this month. I believe it was August 12th. He was sentenced to life in prison. He wasn't charged with homicide because I think the prosecutors knew they could get about the same result without having to prove death. You know, I mean, they prove it in the kidnapping itself, but it's not a murder charge. And I think it's easier to prove than murder. So Coleman goes off to federal prison. That guy, I don't know his deal at all. He had a beautiful apartment in Providence. He was a college graduate working as like a systems analyst or something at Raytheon. I don't know what the hell happened to him, but I bet if you talk to some previous girlfriends, he wasn't the nicest guy. But those two cases, Harmony Montgomery, we need a verdict in that case. And this one, Jazzy Korea. Police and prosecutors did their job in this one, and the right thing happened here. So, two good updates, guys. So, there you have it. Let's get on to today's case. And we definitely have to jump back into the Wayback Machine. This is the case of Klaus and Sonny von Bürlo from Newport, Rhode Island. And this case, guys, before the O.J. Simpson trial, this was the trial of the century. Both Klaus and Sonny were Newport aristocrats who lived in, when I tell you a mansion, people from the New England area know Newport and it has the mansions tour. Newport in the 18th century was the playground of the rich and famous from New York. The Rockefellers had mansions. The Astors had mansions there. The Gettys had mansions there. And guys, when I'm talking mansions, I'm talking Gilded Age mansions here. And the Von Bureaus had their mansion on Bellevue Avenue, which is the stroll for several of the mansions. And there are mansion tours in Newport. And I don't think Clarendon Court was on it because it was an act of residence. But you can go visit the Rockefellers, the Breakers, in Newport was constructed by Cornelius Vanderbilt, and it's probably the gem or the showcase of the mansion's tour. You don't want to miss that one. It's a beautiful walk, the mansion's walk on the seaside. It is absolutely incredible, and the money they spent and the time they spent designing these homes and entertaining each other was just obscene. So for those of you in New England, I really don't have to tell you much about Newport. It is the seat of old world money in the New England region. Beacon Hill rivals it a little bit, but Newport was the summer playground of all the Vanderbilts, his sons, daughters. They all have mansions in Newport, and you can see most of them. And if you do that walk on Bellevue Avenue... There's a lot of those homes that are still active, and it's still a blue blood community. There's a ton of money there. I know I'm telling you that, and I'm probably still not getting it across. So those of you not familiar with the wealth of Newport, Rhode Island, let me give you a brief history. Newport is about, I don't know, 70-some-odd miles from Boston, so probably about an hour and a half drive. 
30 miles south of Providence, Rhode Island, and it's just gorgeous. And it's a different world when you're rich. It's an even different world when you're super rich. And it's extremely different when you live in Newport, Rhode Island, and are extremely rich. So there was a big whaling trade in Newport before the explosion of what the ultra-rich, the Vanderbelts, the Astors, and the Rockefellers called their summer cottages in Newport. So before that, there was some wealth building. But a lot of these guys came for summer residences. Again, they called them cottages, which is obnoxious, from New York City and then spend the entire summer there. And then the houses would usually go empty during the winter months. Can you imagine that? And although those Astors, Vanderbelts, and Rockefellers kind of receded coming into the later half of the 19th century, right, the real wealth there, the Newport wealth stayed, and it actually multiplied a little bit. And yeah, you can go on the tours of the Breakers, Miramar, and there's a couple other ones. I'd suggest you take those tours. They're spellbinding is what they are. And it's great on a summer's day. But there is still to this day a level of wealth in Newport that's hard to get across to you guys. But even so, at the end of the 70s, coming into the early 1980s, and that's the milieu in which we're working with in this case. So guys, the media attention focusing on this trial was unprecedented. This was really the first of the live televised trials. And I remember everybody was riveted to it. It had everything in this case. It has sex, adultery, marriage, money, almost like royal titles, right? These people in Newport were almost royalty, or at least they thought they were, right? And it had murder, right? So violence, sex, murder. And it was covered nonstop, absolutely nonstop. I can still see my mother drinking a cup of tea in the living room watching these proceedings. That actually gives me a smile on my face. But guys, this was 42 years ago. That's hard for me to imagine. But the media attention on this case probably wouldn't be duplicated to about the, I don't know, O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, this was nationwide stuff, if you're too young to remember, and some of you probably are. It was a circus, really. I told you a little bit about Newport, Rhode Island, and it is beautiful. It's a beautiful section of Rhode Island. I think I need to tell you about Martha Sonny Von Bulow, and then I will tell you about Klaus himself. So Sonny started life as Martha Sharp Crawford. And she developed the nickname Sunny as a child because she was so bubbly and warm. And Martha Crawford was an heiress to the Columbia Gas and Electric Fortune via her father, George Crawford, who started that business. In 1935, when George Crawford passed away, Sunny became an heiress to the tune of $100 million at age three, guys. Now, if you guys are anything like me, I didn't inherit millions until I was almost eight years old, and I know it's probably similar for you guys, right? Man, she was born into a family of 
unimaginable wealth. And the people they knew in the circles they traveled in had nothing but wealth. So she was definitely a child of privilege. She was a smart girl. Not a lot of women went to college in those days, but she was definitely smart enough to do so. She was effervescent, hence the nickname Sunny, right? She was married in 1957. It sounds like a fairy tale, these people's lives. I, I don't know why they can't get through them in more of a happier fashion. But 1957, she literally married a prince, Prince Alfred von Osbergers, an Austrian prince. So now not only is she worth more than $100 million, but she's also a princess now. And with this prince, she had two children, Annie Alla. A-L-A, Osberg, who was born in 1958, and then her brother, the princess's brother, Prince Alexander Osberg, I think I'm pronouncing that right, came along in 1959. Guys, I think I forgot to mention Sonny's mom was also very wealthy. She was the heir to the International Shoe Foundation, which was, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So at age three, she inherits $100 million. They're not struggling to make any mortgages, guys. And guess what? They don't care what's on sale at the supermarket, I don't think. So I don't know what the marriage was like with Prince Alfred. Sonny seems like I've seen her portrayed in many different publications. She seems like a very nice soul. And even when this trial was going on, in the early 1980s, I felt horrible for Sonny because she was the forgotten person in all this. You know, she was a person in her own right, had her own life, loves, dislikes, and everything. And they were talking about her like she wasn't even there. So it was kind of a strange situation, and it must have been horrible for her children and the rest of her family. I believe the Von Aspergs were raised in Manhattan, and after the divorce, she did meet Klaus von Bülow, and that was 1965 she was divorced. She was remarried to Klaus in 1966. And I forget who stated the quote that the rich are different, and they certainly are. They don't seem to lose a lot of sleep over marriages, divorces, or anything like that. And it would have seemed that the marriage to this prince had been on the rocks for quite some time, and maybe they were separated before that. You know what I mean? Not permanently so, but they had decided to live separate lives. And that's when she met Klaus. When she meets Klaus in 1965-66, she was about 33, 34 years old. She was a very attractive woman, and she was a socialite, you know, and that's not something I'm super familiar with. They do a lot of charity work, and I know that. And I know a lot of that could be described as horseshit, but they do some good work, some of them. So I believe their lives at that time were focused around Manhattan. And then she meets Klaus von Bülow, and they end up buying Clarendon Court in Newport. And I can't tell you enough about this house. It's absolutely beautiful. I don't know much about architecture or all that, but when you see this house, it's an absolute mansion. There's no getting around it. 
and it's on Bellevue Avenue in Newport. It's, you know, right down the street from the Breakers, really. And it's beautiful. And it's not on any of those tours, as far as I know, because it was an actual residence for the most part. And if you go up and down that avenue, there's a lot of homes that some of them have been broken down into condominiums, high-priced condominiums, but some of them are still those grand mansions, and it's absolutely beautiful. I'll put some pictures of Clarendon Court in the show note so you can take a look at it. It's, it's worth your time. So Klaus was born in Copenhagen, Denmark in 1926, and he came from a prominent family, but as war approached, his father would eventually be held and tried as a Nazi sympathizer, you know, that he had helped the Nazi regime in Denmark, and he was later cleared of those charges and fully exonerated. But Klaus ended up not using his surname because he thought the association with Nazism wouldn't be good for a bright future, and he was absolutely right. So he ended up using the surname Von Bülow, which was another branch of his family. Seems fine to me. But he went on to Trinity College, and I don't think Klaus was as privileged as Sonny was, but they weren't hurting either. This kid goes off to Trinity College. They seem to have some type of near royal status in Denmark, you know. Then after he graduates from Trinity College, he practices law in London as an apprentice. That's how they do it over there. And he does pretty well, and he starts getting involved in the oil industry. And Klaus ends up associating himself with J. Paul Getty. And pretty soon he became his personal assistant when Getty moved some operations to London. And Klaus was the head of that. And at the time, J. Paul Getty was either the richest man in the world or one of them. So Klaus started learning the oil business pretty quickly and from a great teacher, and he did well financially. And he comes off as an aristocrat. If you've ever heard him talk, look at his demeanor and all that. Again, I say the rich are different. I don't know who coined that phrase, but this cat is different. There is actually a pretty good movie. It's actually a very good movie, and they say it sticks to the script of the trial and the lives of all involved pretty well. And the name of the movie, guys, is Reversal of Fortune with Jeremy Irons playing Klaus von Bülow, and he did a masterful job. I'll put a link to the movie in the show notes. You might want to check it out if you haven't watched it already. I remembered this trial, a lot of it directly from, you know, the television. And from what I remember, the movie is pretty consistent with reality, as much as movies can be, right? So it would seem that Klaus met Sonny in New York. Their lives were focused in New York, and pretty soon Sonny and Klaus hit it off. It seems like women in that time wanted to be married. I believe when she got divorced, Sonny was about 33, 34 years old. And a year later, I guess it was a whirlwind courtship, she marries Klaus and then has their baby together, Cosmia, C-O-S-I-M-A, I believe. And she was born in 67. And by all accounts, it seemingly was a real marriage, a loving marriage. 
Sonny really fit the bill of her name. And as we go, there's secrets in every marriage and every life. But at the outset, it seemed like a pretty nice blended family. And I got to say, from Klaus's angle, it had to have been that he hit the jackpot here, right? They have so much money. I don't even know if they know how much they had. At age three, Sonny was worth, what, $100 million. And then I think she got divorced to the prince, who was also a tennis star. And I think that got her another $75 million or so. So that money was just sitting in the bank, making money upon money upon money. So I'm sure Klaus thought he had hit the lottery. And pretty soon after they married, they bought the mansion in Newport, Clarendon Court. And how do you go wrong there, Klaus? He kind of seemingly played the socialite rather than having all the money to back it up. But when he met Sonny, man, he had the money to back it up. So he came off as this European royalty with really no money. I mean, the guy would have been able to buy his own home and all that. Would he have been able to buy Clarendon Court on his own? No way. He seems a bit of a playboy on this one to me. And during his private alone time, Klaus must have really smiled to himself. Because to be honest with you, what did he do to enjoy that level of status. At least Sonny, her dad worked hard at some point and started several oil companies, right? So, but what did Klaus do? He married into it. So Klaus continues to work for J. Paul Getty for just a few years after he gets married. And then he's seemingly employed as a consultant to several oil companies. And if you think Klaus von Bülow is burning the midnight oil on this stuff, he is not. If you think he's out in the garden, he is not. I don't think this guy ever broke a sweat unless it was on a tennis court or a golf course. But he wasn't working very hard, I wouldn't think. But the image they presented was the Newport elite, right? They spent most of their time at Clarendon Court. But they also still had that beautiful apartment. I believe it was on Fifth Avenue in New York City. So back and forth. A lot of people went back and forth between Newport and Manhattan. So I laugh because it's just such a world I'm not familiar with. I'm so super blue collar compared to these people. I just find it funny. So you would think in this blended family, there'd be some strife with the, you know, the first kids whose dad was the prince, and that was Annie and Alexander. And then Cosmia comes along. So you think there'd be some animosity among these kids? There wasn't. They all seemed to get along pretty well. They seemed to have a pretty tight-knit family, and things were going good. But in terms of the marriage itself, again, I have to say the rich are different. Klaus would have affairs and... In that world, I guess it's accepted from some of these wives as long as you're discreet. And Sonny knew that Klaus had some needs she couldn't meet or whatever. And as long as he was discreet in these dalliances, at least Klaus said, you know, Sonny didn't mind. So I don't know if I really believe that. And I didn't believe it at the time of the trial. Because when Sonny was married to Prince Alfred, I'm not going to attempt the last name anymore, he was a tennis star. 
and he was a devastatingly good-looking guy, but he had an affair with Italian film star Gina Lola Brigida, and it was pretty highly publicized at the time because, again, he was a ranked tennis star, and she was the pinup girl of the time. And the couple ended up divorcing in 65 over that. It was in the newspapers, and it really embarrassed Sonny. So when Klaus says, you know, Sonny knew about my dalliances, I don't know if she'd be willing to go through that again. You know what I mean? So what we seemingly have here is Sonny is a legitimate socialite with all the money in the world, and Klaus was playing the part of a socialite with really no money to back it up. And he married and really hit the jackpot, and his life was set. I don't know what happened here, but by the time the late 70s, about 78, 79, Sonny and Klaus began talking about divorce, openly talking about it with the kids and all that. And you know what, guys? I'm going to have to break this one up into two podcasts at a minimum because just the bios of those people that I gave you have taken a hell of a long time and the trials and appeals will give us a whole nother episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you there with the Von Bulos and I'm going to get on to part two of this case, Klaus Von Bulow and Sonny Von Bulow. It's a tragic case, and I do feel like Sonny had long been forgotten, even at the trial, and she had only been injured for a short time. And I feel like she was fully forgotten in this case. And by the time I'm done with it, I think you'll agree. So I'm going to get on to that one for you. I'll see you on the flip side, and I'll get on to the next one for you. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.